If you don't have players on the field with the right skills, you're going to have a tough time winning. The same goes for your business. Indeed is a fast, simple way to make sure you're hiring MVPs. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Everybody, the Detroit Pistons podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, and it is just me tonight, today, whenever you are listening to this, but that's fine. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Or do we? It's funny, right? Because the we are definitely at the end of the season, a season that's been going on for a long time and had a lot of changes for the Detroit Pistons, uh, but also one where they didn't win a lot of games and weren't supremely exciting to watch on a night-in, night-out basis. We, we kind of hit the place where you, you saw what the rookies are and could do and would contribute um, you know, consistently at this point in their careers. And then we got to that point like 20 games ago, and now it's just kind of like waiting to see if the rookies flash any more stuff, waiting to see some of the new additions, right? We got uh we got Hamadialu, Hamadou Diallo back or in. We got Killian Hayes back. Um waiting to see what those guys end up doing. But yeah, like we're we're kind of just like in uh the dog days of this season. And I'm gonna talk about that a little bit later, but first I did want to talk about Killian and Hamadou because those are just that's what because they're both like the new cool things and because like both of those guys have a lot of upside and potential. It's what I've been trying to pay attention to the most during these last couple of games. And I really like what I'm seeing. I like the fit uh, between the two guys. And I like the, I, I wonder about the impact that that could have for the team down the road. And I want to start with defensively. Defensively is like, it's, it's, surprising to me how how much impact how much impact that could be for a backcourt right both guys you know six five diallo obviously a much better athlete than killian but killian you know had a bunch of steals against the thunder in that game and also kind of held up well uh, defensively against the knicks that was something that impressed me in killian's play even when he wasn't necessarily playing well offensively uh, at the beginning of the year, right? You remember the Atlanta game, which was probably his uh, his best individual performance prior to the OKC game. Well, and that was a game in which he was giving Trey Young trouble. You know, like Trey Young, it helps a lot that Killian is 6'5 and over 200 pounds for a point guard. And, you know, Trey Young is 6'2 and, you know, whatever Trey Young weighs. But that's going to be an advantage Killian has most nights because. You know, most NBA point guards aren't six five two ten, right? And they're not the next six. They're not six five two hundred pounds. And Diallo, of course, is much more uh, of a defensive minded guy, and he's got the you know the foot speed and the the first step and the lateral quickness to stay with basically anyone uh, that he that he wants to stay with. For him, it's just more of uh, continuing to know where to be in, in technique, right? I think Killian's technique might be more advanced than Diallo's at this stage of their careers. Um, and so 
defensively you have two two guys upwards of six five who can who can guard other teams uh, other guards adequately and create a reasonable level of like havoc on the defensive end, which is really nice. You know, offensively we've seen those two work really well together. Uh, I've watched the lob that Killian threw Hamadou Diallo like 30 times. I'm sure you have too, but it's not just that, right? It's the, uh, it's the drive kick, drive kick, like old school, like Calipari Memphis style basketball that those two could play. That really intrigues me. Uh, at Detroit bad boy, shout out to Cuba. He wrote about this a little bit on Monday, Tuesday, but it wasn't sorely solely focused on Killian and Hamadou. He was more concerned with like, you know, just weak side actions. The Pistons could generate in general. Um, and it's not just weak side actions, but when you have a guy like Killian who can create advantages out of an initial action, you know, Killian can just walk the ball up the court, get into a pick and roll and create, you know, a passing advantage with his height and uh, passing ability. And then you, you have Hamadou Diallo as a guy with an explosive first step and, and good, you know, vertical pop who can take advantage of those windows that uh, then Killian can create. You know, it, this doesn't have to be on the weak side. This doesn't have to be, you know, one of Killian's trademark, like lefty whip hand cross court passes. Um, this can be on the right side. This can be on the dominant side of the floor, right? If, if, if Killian is uh, drawing help just because, like, you know, he's a 6'5 dude headed towards the rim, like Hamadou Diallo can, can take advantage of that. Um, both as a shooter, which is something that he Diallo has been improving on uh, in his time in Detroit. I'm not quite there yet ready to say that, like, hey, like he's going to be, you know, a 40% shooter or anything crazy in Detroit, but the shot comes out really slowly, but it looks, you know, it looks pretty good on the whole when, and it helps that teams aren't guarding him like a shooter. But if you do guard him like a shooter, if you do kind of close out hard to Diallo, he can drive right past you because he can drive right past you. Even if you don't close out to him hard because he's got an insane first step. So yeah, I, I like the way that those two uh, fit together. I, I hope, I think, I expect that to be the backcourt of the future for Detroit. And that kind of helps me transition into the next thing, which is the draft. Because if Hamadou Diallo is going to be part of the backcourt of the future in Detroit, you know, what does that do for your draft planning? You know, Diallo is going to, is probably going to sign an extension this offseason to, to stay in Detroit for, you know, three, four years. That's not like the long haul, but it's as long as you kind of get in the NBA. And so you run into the situation where do you want to bump down in your draft rankings guys like Jalen Green and Jalen Suggs because they're going to play a similar role to Diallo in this, like on the Pistons in the future, right? Do you want to pay Hamadou Diallo 12, 13, 14, $15 million a year to come off the bench behind Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs? Or do you want to take a guy, you know, third, 
fourth, fifth, first, second, and have that guy come off the bench for a 25-win team. It's like it's 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 an interesting you know thought exercise. Um, I, I I don't really have a great answer for it, right? I, I, let's let's get the top five pick <laughs> before you, you you really start worrying about like the, the impact. But I I do think it's something that we should uh, consider in our draft evaluations, like for the Pistons. Like and I can hear some people. I can hear you guys. I mean, like the Pistons should just draft the best player available, regardless of fit. There's nobody on the roster who uh, should prevent you from taking the best player available. And you know, theoretically, I, I got I got no issue like with that. But you know, in a practical sense, it, it is going to come up. We we've seen it come up uh, for teams in the past, and so you should. It should not be the reason you don't do something. But it, like you're just if you do it, you got to go into it with the knowledge that you're going to have to make it work on the back end. And like that, you know, whether that's good or bad like that, that's on you. It's like maybe that's some three guard lineups with all three guys like that. That actually doesn't sound that bad. Right. Maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's a, a sidelining of Sadiq Bay, who is like naturally kind of the third guy. Uh, in in those in those scenarios, and it's like maybe you know he he wasn't a lottery pick. Um, his role is a lot more clear cut. It's like maybe a demotion to the bench isn't that terrible for Sadiq Bay. Like who knows? Um, but yeah, like it, it the 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 backcourt of Killian and Hamadou like does have an impact. Should have like some impact on like what you plan to do uh, for the Pistons in the draft. Okay, now that we're like solely talking about the draft. I want to talk about Jalen Suggs, and I, uh, I I say that with a little bit of trepidation, but I, I think we're going to get there. So you should, before I get started on this, you should absolutely check out the Inside the Cylinder podcast. It's on the Detroit Bad Boys podcast feed. Um, Matt and David brought in Adam Spinella to talk about the draft. Adam is much, much smarter than me, so you should check out that episode and listen to him instead of listening to me but you can also kind of listen to me, but just like take, take, let his voice take precedence. But, uh, he really likes Jalen Suggs. He has Jalen Suggs. I believe I, I remember him saying he has Jalen Suggs number two on his board. I don't like Jalen Suggs that much, but I do like Jalen Suggs, but I haven't met like four or five. And I want to talk about that split because I feel like it's, it's important and it's philosophical and it's something that could end up mattering like down the line for this Pistons team. So first things first, like who is Jalen Suggs? Jalen Suggs combo guard out of Gonzaga six listed at six, four two Oh five. He's a nice, uh, he's a good athlete. He's a, he's a great athlete. He's a nice horizontal athlete. He gets from point A to point B really quickly. He gets downhill really quickly. He's strong guys bounce off of him in the open court. Um, He's an ex-quarterback, and you always, like, heard the, the ex-football, like, trope, like, be trotted out during the, the broadcast. But it's for a good reason, because dudes, like, legitimately did kind of bounce off of him. And he's a winner. He's a grinder. He was part of that Gonzaga team, you know, that made it all the way to the uh, NCAA championship game uh, without a single loss. That's very impressive. But I, I got some questions about him. For me, the main question is the shot. 
you know, I saw, I saw a, someone brought up on Detroit bad boys. How do you get Jalen Suggs to be a guy who scores 25 points a night? He only scored 14 a night in college. Um, I think the, the obvious first answer to that is like more shots. He only shot 10 times a game at Gonzaga. And so like, obviously if he shoots more, he will score more, but that doesn't get you. That's not, you know, 10 extra shots, which would be what? 20 times a game. 10 extra shots is not necessarily 10 extra points. Right. And so he, you need him to both shoot more and to be more accurate. And if he's going to shoot more shots at the NBA level, more of those shots are going to have to be threes and in particular off the dribble threes. And I am not wholly sold on Jalen Suggs as an off the dribble three point shooter. You know, season's over. They played the NCAA championship game on uh, Monday, I think. And so like there, there's no more stats for him to add uh, during the season. Um, so after the game against Iowa in which he made seven threes, which was very, very impressive, but I think not at all indicative of what Suggs is as a shooter, Jalen Suggs shot 29% from three on only three attempts a game for the rest of the season. That includes the, uh, NCAA tournament games. Um, that includes the, uh, <laughs> That includes the the forty footer he he made to make uh, to to send Gonzaga like into the national championship game, and it's gonna annoy me that people like bring that up as a shot that proves that he's a shooter when you know that that's not you know indicative of the type of shots he will be taking in the NBA most of the time. Um, but you know when I when I think of the shots that he will be taking, I think of the three he airmailed earlier in that UCLA game um, is off the dribble three. It's a, it's not a pull up three. He kind of like, he was going, he was going right to left. Yeah. He was going right to left ends up on the left side uh, of the, like he's dribbling, dribbling, just decides to pull up from three. He shoots it from the left side of the court. The ball sails over the right side of the rim out of bounds, no rim, no backboard, just like, it's like that. That's not great. It's like I, I, the the touch as a shooter doesn't always seem to appear to be to be there. I notice some of his misses. Right, he has really hard misses. His misses sound like uh, they're like being fired out of a cannon, right? And like that that was the first thing that kind of tipped me off. That like maybe this guy doesn't have the most amazing touch uh, in the world. Um, and so, like, yeah, that's that's my that's my main question about Jalen Suggs. It's probably the, the only like really big question I have a bit. I have I have that big question about Jalen Suggs, and then I have another big like issue with with Jalen that we'll we'll get to a little bit later. Um, but I don't want to do the Anthony Edwards thing again. I don't want the fact that you know I don't like this guy as much as like other teams or people in the draft sphere like this guy be an indicator that like I I hate this guy right because that's not the case I think Jalen Suggs would be a a great fit on the Pistons you know I I hear the people who are like Suggs is a winner and he's a grinder and he reminds me of Chauncey Billups and he reminds me of Jason Kidd it's like I I hear those arguments and I get them and I understand them and to like some extent 
you know, I, I agree with them. But when you compare guys to Chauncey Billups and Jason Kidd, it's like those are very different types of point guards that are successful in today's NBA, right? Like if you're if you're six three, six four in today's NBA, you need an elite skill, right? Um, and if you're going to be drafted in the, in the top five in any draft, I would prefer you have like some form of elite skill, right? Like the, that's true for the guys in this year's draft. You know, Cade Cunningham has great size and elite passing ability. Um, Evan Mobley has elite defensive instincts, and you know, only. He also has a he also has a great frame. I, I don't necessarily know if it's an elite frame, but he has a great frame. And but inside that frame, he has like just sub elite movement, like for how big he is. Where elite movement for a guy that big would be like Anthony Davis. He moves like a little bit less fluidly than Anthony Davis, which is still like you know in the 80th percentile for dudes that are seven feet tall. That's really impressive. That's part of what makes Evan Mobley elite. Um, everyone, eh, everyone with eyeballs knows what Jalen Green's elite thing is. It is his run jump athleticism. That dude can jump. He can jump off one feet. He can jump off two feet. He can jump in space. He can jump off a runway. Uh, he can get to top speed really quickly. He's just an elite level athlete, right? And that that's what makes Jalen Green special. Uh, Jonathan Kaminga has an elite frame. Well, okay, he he might have an elite frame. He was listed at 6'6 for the Ignite. That would not be an elite frame, but if he's actually like 6'8", 220, like I suspect he is, like that is that is an elite frame, right? Like that is the that is the core of like what every team is looking for in, in a wing player. And so, like that, the that's the 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 elite thing that Jonathan Kaminga has. Suggs doesn't really have any of those, right? Like he's good in transition. He's good to great as a finisher. He's not an elite level finisher, right? He's not shooting, you know, sixty five percent at the rim or anything crazy like that. He is not an elite shooter. We we talked about that. Um, he has a good size again, like six four two oh five, um, but you know he's not. He's not 6'6". Six, six. He's not 6'7". He's not 6'5". Um, to me, Suggs' main strength is his outstanding lack of weaknesses. He does everything that you would like an NBA player to do at a B-plus level on the court right now with, with the potential for a lot of that stuff to get better, to get into the A-level. Um, but like with that said... I don't know anything he does at an A plus level either. And like that, that to me makes the difference between him and, you know, Jalen green, hypothetically this this is what makes the difference between him and Killian to me. Um, yeah, I got some critiques on uh, Twitter about some people were like, Hey, like, you know, Laz, you really loved Killian. Uh, Killian, you know, has struggled in the NBA, obviously, early in his career. Um, you, Ding Suggs is a shooter. Killian shot 29% from three. Um, you know, Suggs is widely considered a, a better prospect in a more uh, top-heavy class than last year's class than uh, than Killian was. And I think like that that's part of my response to those people is like Killian had 
an elite skill in, in his passing, right? Uh, a six, five guy who sees the floor and makes the passes that Killian does like that's, that's an elite skill. You can, you can leverage that. Um, Suggs is a pretty good passer, but he can't pass the ball quite like Killian. And like that, that's part of the reason why it's like, I, I think those guys are just a little bit different uh, in my head. You know, I, I, again, though, I don't want this to be like crap on Jalen Suggs hour or crap on Jalen Suggs segment. Um, I would be happy if Suggs is a piston. Uh, he is a winner and he is a grinder and he is a guy who works really hard. And Troy Weaver self selects for guys who work kind of hard, who work really hard. Um, he is legitimately great getting downhill, both in transition and in the half court. And that's something that's always necessary. The Pistons could, in the Pistons, in fact, could use another dude who could get to the who could get to the rim in the half court and convert. Jalen Suggs can absolutely do that. Um, the The combination of his athleticism and ball handling at his size is really intriguing. Um, and so, like, yeah, I would. He would fit with Killian, um, which is part of the thing that I think some people are concerned about. You know, he's a combo guard. He could play off the ball next to Killian, and he could force Killian off the ball. That's not that's not that big a deal. He could fit next to Diallo. We you know we talked about that potential fit a little bit earlier, um, and so he would be Suggs would be a a great piston. He's just not my first, second, or third choice for a piston. You know, speaking of both, you know, first, second, and third choices in the draft, and you know people who fit next to Killian Hayes, I wanted to talk about uh, Cade Cunningham because everyone accepts that Cade is like at the top of this year's draft. Um, even, you know, even the more casual fans are into like, you know, you know, fade for Cade. Everybody, everybody gets that. But the, the question I see asked a bunch about the draft is like, can Killian and Cade coexist, right? People see Cade advertised as a six, eight point guard, which he kind of is. And they, they think about a point guard log jam, or they think about, you know, some of the stuff I listed out earlier where you, you don't want to take two point guards in back to back years. You think about the, like, I don't know, the Darius Garland, Colin Sexton back to back drafts, right? And the thing I would say to that is you can play multiple point guard, you can play multiple point guards at once. We have seen that this year for this Pistons team. Dwayne Casey loves playing multiple point guards at once. It's like, yes, uh, Killian and Cade Cunningham is not quite the same thing as like Saban Lee and Corey Joseph or Dennis Smith Jr. and Corey Joseph. But like we, we see that Dwayne and Casey is willing to put multiple ball handlers on the floor at the same time. So I don't think that, you know, drafting Cade is like a death knell for, for Killian Hayes or anything like that. And then the other thing that's a little bit bigger is you, you so Cade Cunningham is often compared to the other main young six eight playmaker in the NBA right now, and that's Luka Doncic. Um, you look at what Dallas has done to build a roster around Luka, and they've surrounded him with a ton of secondary ball handlers over the years, right? It's Jalen Brunson, Trey Burke, our old friend DeLon Wright, Seth Curry, J.J. Barea the God, 
Devin Harris, Dennis Smith Jr., our, our current friend, Dennis Smith Jr. Um, and the, and they've done that. Rick Carlisle has kind of made the had the um, had the input to do that because they like the ability to take some of the playmaking duties off of Luca's plate, so he doesn't have to do everything all the time. And because Luca creates so many advantages for other ball handlers that he makes those guys better. Luca is so so versatile and and so talented that he can do both. And and Kate Cunningham is much the same way. You even saw this a little bit at Oklahoma State. Um, often Oklahoma State would have them that have the like nominal point guard who was not Cade kind of just bring the ball up, initiate the offense, and they would run punch plays right for for Cade to get the ball on the block for him to post up mismatches because obviously most of the time he's he's a six a dude and he's playing in the backcourt so obviously he was being guarded by a six three six four dude and so they would just they would just post Cade up. Um, they would have Cade operate on the weak side. Talked about the weak side a little bit earlier. They'd have him operate on the weak side as the uh, the kickout option on pick and rolls happening on the other side of the floor because he improved so much as a shooter that you know that teams had to stay home on him or even like teams were shading coverages toward him and that opened up you know spots for other guys. That opened up driving lanes, passing lanes for other guys without him even having to to do much of anything. Um, or, you know, they would have their point guard bring the ball up and just like ISO Cade in the mid post be like, go, go get us a bucket Cade. And he could go do that. Right. Cade is so talented and so good that he can do everything. So it's not smart. That's not, that's not fair. I don't want to say it's not smart. It's, it's limiting to call him a quote unquote, like point guard. He's a primary ball handler, but he is so much more than that, that he doesn't have to have the ball in his hands to be good. Um, a lot of the, so a lot of the issues I had with Cade at Oklahoma state were, uh, came in the form of like turnovers. He turned the ball over a lot at Oklahoma state. You know, there's a lot of reasons for that. Part of that is because teams were sending three dudes at him part of the, that was that he did have the ball in his hands a lot and part of that was his handle was not the strongest handle I've ever seen he's not exactly like Kyrie Irving with the ball in his hands his handle is good especially for a guy who's 6'8 but you could see him occasionally like get careless get sloppy with the ball and that that caused a lot of issues for him at, in college and so if you have a better point guard you have another guy who you're comfortable with the ball in his hands bringing the ball up in Killian Hayes that alleviates some of those turnover concerns that you have or don't have with with Cade Cunningham um yeah like kids kids so good like having having two plus plus passers is actually like great for for both of those guys because it if you're a really good passer, it also means you see the floor really well. And it means that if you, even if you don't have the ball in the, in your hands, you can still see the floor and you can still make stuff happen more. And also having like more passers on the floor makes other guys feel like they will be rewarded for doing the little things on the court. They will be rewarded for, for moving without the ball. People talk about this all the time with like Nikola Jokic, 
right? We, you know, if you were paying attention to the Denver game, you saw this, right? Like Aaron Gordon was a guy who felt like he had to create a lot for himself in Orlando and in Denver, he's just back cutting into open space, letting Jokic pass in the ball and dunking, right? He He's willing to sublimate his uh, offensive tendencies because he knows he's going to get the ball and he's going to get to score uh, either way. It doesn't require him to dribble to, to do that. Um, we've seen Killian Hayes make some nice backdoor cuts, right? Like when Blake was around and we've seen him make some, some plays off of cuts from, from Mason Plumlee, um, the, those having like, again, like the, the passing leads to being able to see the floor really well and being able to convert off of that. But, you know, having, you know, having Cade be able to make those same plays, being able to hit Killian on those same cuts, right? Having, again, you go back to the lob that Diallo finished, being able to run more sets like that, you know, for Cade, who isn't necessarily as athletic, run, jump, you know, stop, start athletic as Diallo, but who is six eight and can get up if, you know, you give him a runway and will have to be guarded out by the three-point line, so you will have open avenues to the backseat. It, it makes a lot of sense that uh, you'll, you'll be able to see those type of things if those two guys are on the floor together. Um, to me, you know, having Cade and Killian playing off each other is much, much more exciting than worrying about, you know, who's bringing the ball up and or who is the nominal point guard or like who has the ball in their hands late in the game, right? Like th- those two kids are, would be, are so talented and would be so good together that it's not worth, <laughs> it's not worth worrying about uh, like which one is, uh, is like which one has to have the ball in their hands down, down, down the stretch. Like just just let them be let them be force multi- multipliers for each other, rather than um, you know squabble over uh, who is the quote unquote point guard. And so like yeah yeah Pistons fans like don't you know if Cade's the number if we get Cade like let let Cade do his thing and don't even worry about Killian. Killian will find a way to to make it work. I love that. That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like me the resources that were once reserved for big business. And it's customized to your needs. You get a great looking online store that really helps bring your ideas to life and tools to manage the day-to-day and drive sales. And I'm speaking about this from experience. I'm really passionate about bass fishing. And a little over five years ago, I started an e-commerce bass fishing brand with my best friend, Aaron, called Woo Tungsten. Actually, it's pronounced Woo Tungsten, W-O-O exclamation mark, because that's the sound you make when you catch a giant bass. And it was a no-brainer to do this on Shopify because they've made it so easy every step of the way from creating product listings to making discount codes to managing shipments. In fact, if you want to see what an e-commerce store looks like on Shopify, go to wootungsten.com and you can see. And it's no wonder that every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. You can get started by building and customizing your online store 
with no coding or design experience. And you can gain knowledge and confidence with extensive resources to help you succeed. Plus, with 24-7 support, you're never alone. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial, and you'll get access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today, just like me, just like Wu Tungsten, by going to shopify.com slash bluewire right now. That's shopify.com slash bluewire. Next thing I wanted to, to really talk about and shout out was Sadiq Bay, Sadiq Trey. Shout out to Steve Jones, Dunker Spot, Sadiq Trey. Uh, Sadiq broke the Pistons rookie record for threes made in a season. Um, that was really good to see. I talked about him on the Detroit Bad Boys podcast a couple days ago, how uh, he had been inconsistent over the last 15 or so games. I thought that he had probably hit the rookie wall. Um, so it was good to see him make a bunch of shots against Denver and break the record, uh, I believe, in the the game before. And uh, just, like, you know, not have to necessarily, like, worry as much about that stuff. He's, he's just so solid. Uh, Sadiq was the subject of Nicholas Henkel and James Edwards III's, like, podcast. They did a quick little, like, redraft uh, of, like, you know, of last year's draft and where they thought Sadiq might end up. Um, and they were asking themselves, like, who, who would, if you're, like, a team above 19, like, and you, wouldn't you rather have Sadiq? And, like, the list for that starts at nine, right? Like, do you think the Knicks, who are, like, chasing a playoff spot, would love to have, like, Sadiq Bey instead of Obi Toppin? They can't find Obi Toppin any minutes, but, like, Reggie Bullock is, like, being one of the best versions of himself. They don't, you don't think they could find, they would love another guy who gives them a lot of what Reggie Bullock gives them in Sadiq Bey. I feel like they could totally use that. The the Suns, right? The Suns took Jalen Smith. Um, the Suns had to sign Tory Craig off the uh, waiver wire to kind of fill in a lot of what they were looking for from a bench wing defender. Like, Sadiq Bey would totally be able to fill those minutes. That'd be great. There's a lot of rending of garments and, and gnashing of teeth in Boston about the fact that, like, Aaron Naismith is contributing next to nothing. And Sadiq Bey is, like, playing as well as he is. And Sadiq Bey has already killed the Celtics in one memorable game this season. And so, yeah, man, Sadiq Bey deserves all the love that uh, he is receiving. He's another dude who, like, would force multiply the crap out of a, out of a Cade Cunningham or a Killian Hayes. You, you saw the, the shots that he was making against Denver, right, where he's, like, he's just sitting in the corner and waiting or he's doing, like, slight relocations off of defensive rotations. And it's, like, Cade or Killian or any type of playmaker who can cause the defense to shift and bend and having a guy like Sadiq Bey just kind of hanging out in the corner waiting to flash to the wing another 40% shooter from three just making teams pay it's like um you would you'd love to see that and so like yeah Sadiq Bey Sadiq Bey gets a little love from me on this podcast what else do I want to talk about oh Seku it was nice to see Seku have some success against Oklahoma City it, to my eyes, it looked like he knew he could take those guys. <laughs> he looked like he was like, okay, these are G League dudes. I can take G League dudes. I have taken G League dudes 
in the past. He did that in the G League for a year, and he looked quite well doing it, quite uh, quite proficient doing it. Um, and then we saw against Denver, he kind of went right back to looking for Wayne and Frank Jackson to, to DHO with on the perimeter. He went back to looking um, tentative and afraid to attempt to create for himself uh, whenever he get he whenever he was uh, whenever he had the ball in his hands. Um, and so, yeah, maybe maybe Seiko's back in the rotation. Maybe Seiko's not back in the rotation. It's At this point, it's whatever for me, at least. I'm just glad they didn't trade him, and I'm glad that they appear to not have given up on him. But, yeah, Seiko is Seiko, is Seiko at this point. Um, what else? Frank Jackson. Frank Jackson is shooting his way onto somebody's roster. I don't know if it's Detroit's roster, but limiting... The choice to limit his ball handling duties and focus on what he could bring as a standstill shooter has been really good for him. And if the Pistons are unable to take advantage of what Frank Jackson has to offer, like I'm sure another team will be interested because teams are always looking for dudes who can shoot. And Frank Jackson proved uh, that he can shoot uh, this season. What else was I going to talk about? Oh, the, uh, ugh. Okay, so one, we're going to go back to the draft a little bit. We're not going to go at the top of the draft. We're going to go at the bottom of the draft. And one of the draft things I am not looking forward to is these three second-round picks the Pistons have in this year's draft. They have a pick in the 30s, they have a pick in the 40s, and they have a pick in the 50s. And I really just find myself hoping they don't make all three of those picks. And I find myself not supremely interested in figuring out like what the best options for Detroit would be with those uh, with those picks. Um, I don't have a I don't have a great answer for like it's like hey lads who's gonna be there for the Pistons at 37? Like I don't know man. That's like that's like. 30 picks after the point where I'm comfortable like predicting who will do what right it's just it's not the it's really I enjoy like doing the drafts up at the top of the draft because the you get into philosophical stuff but your scope is also like artificially limited um, there are only but so many guys who are worth taking a chance on in the top 10 in the top seven in the top five in the top three right? And so you, you only have to really uh, account for those names, right? When you get to like 37 or 48, there are a lot of dudes who could be worth the 37th pick in the draft. There are a lot of dudes who could be worth the 48th pick in the draft. And it's it's really hard for me to sit here and be like, this dude, this dude right here is the, the best option for the Pistons at 48 because, you know, I don't, I don't know for sure. Right. Like it's just at that point that late in the draft, you're just, I'm just taking chances on dudes. I like just capital D capital I capital L dudes. I like, <laughs> um, and if I like him, it's like chances are other teams like him. And that also kind of affects the uh, possibility of him being there at 37. And so like, yeah, it's just a, it's just a crap shoot. The one thing I don't like, or one of the other things I don't like is the fans who are going to be like, oh, 
you should take this dude I've seen at 37 because I've seen him and because I've seen him I think he's good right like the Michigan guys right like I've seen I've seen Isaiah Livers mocked to the Pistons so many times it's like you guys realize like he's gonna be out for six months because of his foot right anyway uh, I've seen Aaron Henry uh, and in the bottom of the draft I've seen Pistons fans pick up think they should pick up Aaron Henry like I like Aaron Henry Aaron Henry is a dude I like but like is he the best option for the Pistons at 48 and 37? Like, I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, and then there's going to be the other thing is, like, the, the dudes who were who were who were either, like, really good in college or, like, had a nice tournament run. And you got to be talked out off the ledge on some of those dudes. Like, no, the Pistons should not take the Garza guy out of Iowa. I don't care how many points and how many rebounds he got in college. That dude's probably not an NBA player. It's like, no, I don't care. The the Pistons should not take the kid from Oral Roberts who led them to the Sweet 16. It's like, I'm not, that's not the, the type of player you need to take at uh, at the uh, NBA. It's, the, it's like 6'1 dudes who can definitely shoot, but like can't guard a soul. It's like, you, you need to be so good in the NBA to like not be... Uh, to not be like just completely discarded like the, the g league is full of those kind of dudes right the g league is full of dudes like that the oral roberts kid um guys who can bomb away from 30 and are just like a little bit undersized but terrible on defense like g league has like 20 of those guys i believe like uh, jared harper who the pistons like just played fairly recently i think in, in okc like he's one of those guys but like yeah it's just like if, if you want the type of guy, you should not use a second-round pick to get him. You should sign him off a G League roster. You uh, Pistons shouldn't take the Juzang guy, uh, kid from UCLA. I A, I think he's going back to school. And, like, B, like, again, that's a, that's a hot tournament run. And he makes a lot of mid-rangers and doesn't really do anything else. And so, like, let that, yeah, let that kid develop another year in school before we start talking about him uh, at 37. Um... Oh, you know, okay, you know who else kind of falls into this trap? Davion Mitchell. All right, Davion Mitchell, great kid. Baylor won the championship, so he's, of course, a quote-unquote winner. He wears 45 and has Mitchell on the back of his jersey, so people get mirages of what he would look like in a Pistons uniform. And it's like, oh, I've been, I've been imagining what a dude who wears 45 with the last name Mitchell would look like in a Pistons uniform for four years now. I could finally make that happen. It's like, eh. I've seen him as a lottery pick. That is that is crazy to me. He shot 65% from the line this year. He was he was a good three-point shooter this year. I believe he was over 40% from three this year. But it looks fluky because he was a 32% three-point shooter last year. Like, what's more likely, right? That he is he improved as a shooter but only from three and not from the free throw line or that he, you know, he had like a fluky three point year. Like it's the, the fluky three point year is much more likely. Um, he's only six, two, which is like, you know, n- not amazing size for an off guard or a point guard, uh, in the NBA. And he's already 22 years old. He's older than Sadiq Bay. Like that, that's a guy like I would, I would pump the brakes so hard on, on the Davion Mitchell trade. A train, excuse me. I've seen I've seen Pistons fans like trying to concoct a way to get back into the first round. It's like, oh man, like maybe we could do this. Maybe we could like 
I don't know, maybe we could trade Josh. Maybe we could like get some future uh, second round picks out of here and move back into like the twenties and try and pick up Davion Mitchell. It's like, nah, you, you, you guys don't want those problems, right? Like there's, there are going to be better players available. Um, and players who like whose tournament runs is not making such an outsized impact on like what their draft stock is that you're, you're going to want in place of a guy like Davion Mitchell. So yeah, like it just that that's going to be some draft stuff that I can already tell is going to annoy me. Um, what else? Oh, oh boy. Okay. Here we go. Corey Joseph is averaging 16 shots per 100 possessions as a member of the Detroit Pistons. Just, just, you know, take some time, bask in that one, you know, roll it around in your head a little bit. 16 shots per 100 possessions for Corey Joseph. I complain about this team uh, a lot. I complain about how, you know, they're bad and they're losing. And if the young guys aren't playing, it's not necessarily like the most entertainment thing. And we've already kind of seen a lot of what the young guys have to offer. Um, but I can tell you this, man, I'm going to, there's only like 20 ish games in the, in the year left. And I'm going to miss these guys so much when they're not playing basketball anymore. And you will too, right? Like you, you if you are listening to the end of this podcast, you are just as much a hardcore fan as I am. And so, you know, when, when these guys aren't playing anymore, you're going to be like, man, when summer league, it's like, I need to see these Killian guys. I need to see Killian again. It's like, I need to see Sadiq Bay, like knock down some more shots. I need to see Isaiah Stewart, you know, bomb away from three. You're, you're really going to miss these guys when they're gone. And so just like, you know, despite the fact that you hope they only win like four out of the next 20 ish games and the correct four, not four against like Sacramento or Houston or Charlotte or uh, Charlotte's Charlotte's really good this year. Sorry, Charlotte um, or Minnesota or anything like that. You get, I, I want to remind you as much as I have to consistently remind myself to, to cherish the end of the season, even a season that is as uh, long and full of losses as this one has been for the Detroit Pistons. All right. That is the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to me ramble on. I really appreciate it. Uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at last chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. I want to thank everyone out there who makes Pistons content right now. You guys are helping sustain me and help me make content. Uh, as we as we head towards the end of the season so uh, and and i want to thank everyone who listens uh you are the reason why i do this and i truly appreciate it i really do this has been the pistons versus everybody podcast thank you for listening and we will talk to y'all next week see ya